I'm really excited to be here this morning because I'm really excited about what the Lord um, is going to share through me today. We have been on a journey as a church on the Sermon on the Mount. So we've been talking about the Beatitudes. Um, it feels very timely. Uh, for those of you who have been here for at least one, if not multiple of our Beatitudes uh, series, you know that it is really, really insightful to kind of the climate of our culture currently. Um, the Lord has really given us amazing keys on how to steward ourselves, our relationships, and just everything that's going on around us in a kingdom-centered way. So this morning, uh, my message is titled, The Practice of Peacemaking. I get the privilege of sharing with you guys about um, verse number nine, which I believe is the eighth, I think, beatitude this morning. So if you would, we're going to be reading from Matthew chapter five. We're going to start in verse one. We're going to read down together, and then we're going to jump in together. So if you have your Bible, your phone, whatever you got, Meet me at Matthew chapter 5. All right, and we're going to start in verse 1. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him. He opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness or justice, as we learned, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And verse number nine, where we're going to hang out today is this. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Here at Legacy, if you've been here for one minute or if you've been here for a year, you know that one of our favorite things to say here is we are not just a ministry, we are a family. So we've been spending probably the last year, two years, kind of unpacking what does it mean to be a family? And in reading this passage, I feel like God gives us a really strong kingdom prescription for what it looks like to build family. Peacemaking, at least according to this verse, is a way of life, a practice even. Notice that there isn't necessarily just a blessing for those who experience peace. So like, there's not, blessed are you with peace and you shall be called the children of God. Or blessed are the peacekeepers, blessed are the peaceful, for they shall be children of God. No, it says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called children of God. Peacemaking is the way of the family of God. And when we make peace, we're participating as sons and daughters. And we're really giving the world an opportunity to understand what it looks like to be children of God. So let's pray together this morning as we jump in. Jesus, King of kings, Lord of our lives, we surrender to you again. We give you our everything. We know that without you, we have nothing. But with you, we have everything. Lord, may we be instruments of your peace here on this earth. May we practice your way of peace and experience what it is like to be children of God this morning. We love you, Jesus, and we pray in your name. Amen. Amen. So how many of you have seen the movie Miss Congeniality with Sandra Bullock? Yes! All the girls are like, yeah, I saw it, because we were all 15, and we watched Sandra Bullock. Sandra Bullock gets better and better with, as she ages. The woman does not age. 
I would like for her to come and lay hands on me one day and just pray that anointing on me or her really good plastic surgeon. I don't know which one it is. But that movie is hysterical. And if you haven't seen it, then please go home, watch it. It's hysterical. Basically, spoiler alert, Sandra Bullock is an undercover police agent and she is tasked with the job of staying undercover while she solves a crime within uh, like Miss America pageants. Yeah, it's... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> real, yeah. Um, and so she's she's real tomboyish, but she goes in and she gets pretty. That's why we all like it. All the girls are like, yeah, it's like a makeover. It's awesome. So she gets made over. She goes into the pageant, and there's this really iconic scene of her in the pageant, and uh, it basically is like this pan through of about like. 20 women, and the uh, host asks them, what is the number one most important thing our society needs? And if all of you that have seen it remember, what do they say? World World peace. peace. All of them, all 20 of them. World peace. World peace. That's easy. World peace. And I laughed as, as I was prepping this message. That scene came to my head because it's true, right? Like, what what one of us, what portion of our world or society is not craving true world peace, harmony, connection? And I was like, that it's funny, but it's real. It's like, what is the one thing our society needs? World peace. And I would acknowledge that most of us, if not all of us in this room, would say, yeah, like, we would love some world peace. Uh, This week has been cray. Last week was cray. The week before that, that was cray, too. So we could really use some world peace. Yeah. Uh, Unfortunately, like, as you guys have noticed, we as a society uh, kind of suck at, you know, doing the whole world peace thing. Don't know. We just, we want it, but we have no idea how to actually institute or make peace happen. The world understanding or the cultural understanding of what peace is, is that we get our way in our timing and we will do whatever it takes to achieve it. So that's what the world thinks is peace. They're like, peace is when I get my way or my way of thinking comes through and I have it immediately when I want it and then, you know, like I'll do whatever it takes to make that happen. So the world, us as a culture, maybe not us as believers, but as a culture, we have a really interesting method of how we achieve peace. And usually it involves uh, control aggression, and it's usually birthed out of a place of offense, right? So like things aren't going my way, things feel out of control, so I'm going to exert force and aggression to make my way come to pass. This feels very familiar to me because I am a mom of a two-year-old, right? And I was telling the first service, I have this really... uh, (laughs) ridiculous white rug in my living room. Why would I do that? I have a two-year-old. But <laughs> but I need it. I have this white rug. And every day, he wants to open something over top my rug every time. <laughs> oh, no. Somebody, yeah, it's real. So he loves popsicles. He loves juice. And he really loves, like, those bright orange Cheetos. <laughs> those ones are the worst. I'm going to let you know. Those things get on something. It's not coming out. So he, he prances up to me, and he's like, Mommy, I want this juice. Or, Mommy, I want X, Y, and Z. And all of a sudden, my perfectly peaceful white world where my couch is clean and my white rug is in its order is now in jeopardy. 
And I'm like, sure, honey, you can try. And he tries, and then I like just I flip out, to be honest, and I take it from him, and I do it myself, because for me, I'm like, whew, like, I just needed to do it myself, otherwise my, my entire world was going to feel out of alignment, and, you know, that's terrible, like, I mean, but we, I, I'm a parent, and all the parents said, amen, we've done that before, but here's what's even worse, so here's the worst one, like, what, the worst one is when he actually does it, and then it actually does spill all over my floor, and I get really upset with him, and I, like, take him, and I put him in timeout, and I clean up my rug, and I'm like, ah, oh, there, like, everything's, like, everything's right again. He, meanwhile, is in his crib, because that's where he does timeout, he's in his crib, he's really obedient, he actually stays in there, he can climb out all by himself, but he doesn't, He's the best. Um, but he's in there, and he's crying, and he's disconnected. And I got my way, and my carpet's clean now, and my world feels at peace again. But, like, my toddler is incredibly disconnected from me and has no sense of understanding why I'm not just letting him mature, right? Like, he's just trying to grow up, and I'm, like, not letting him because I'm, like, you growing threatens my, like, sense of order. And, I, I mean, I get a little aggressive, and I definitely get controlling, and I take the juice box from him immediately, and I make it go my way. So a lot of times we do that, and as parents, it's like that's kind of socially acceptable, and we kind of breed into our kids. Like that's the way we like keep the peace. It's like mom, like mom and dad, or whoever has the most control just exerts a, a, you know, their control, basically, like their authority, and then it goes the way that they want it to. And unfortunately with that, like, I, all I get is a really disconnected toddler. My world feels great, but his world completely is the worst. And I think as a, a society, we pretty much do the same. As a globe, we do the same. We say, my peace at the expense of yours, and we do whatever it takes so that we can have, you know, a sense of balance in our life, but we do it at the expense of somebody else's personal balance. And I'm pretty sure that could be the wrong method. I, I actually don't know if that's peace at all. I feel like if I'm experiencing peace, but they're not, then it's probably not peace at all. In, in the context of this scripture, we understand that peace is a family thing. Like peace actually, when true peace happens, we actually come together. There's no, you know, there's no dividing here or there. Um, and so I, I feel like if, if I'm the only one, you know, and I could be wrong, this is, my interpretation. If I'm the only one experiencing the peace, it's probably not peace at all. It's probably, it's probably not peace. If I care more about my personal peace and not the atmosphere of peace like this, then I'm doing it wrong probably. This is of utmost importance. Peace for one and not the other is not peace at all. Jesus didn't come to bring peace just to one person, right? Amen? Right, not just one person, not just one kind of people. Jews, Gentiles, right? So he didn't come for just one person. He didn't come for just one kind of people. He came to bring peace to the planet as a whole. Meaning personal peace is important to God, but it's definitely not more important than the peace of the whole. We participate as the family of God when we're pursuing peace for the whole and not just peace for the individual. So when Jesus spoke this message, the Sermon on the Mount, you can imagine the, the political climate of the day. 
So Jesus climbs onto this mountain and he begins his inaugural speech or sermon, we call it, you know, his way of the kingdom. And this is what he talks about. And at the time, Caesar was the all controlling power of the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire was the superpower of the day. And he was claiming to bring peace, but he wasn't looking for peace for the whole, only peace for Rome, right? So I don't know if you guys remember the story in Mark. It might be across the Gospels, but where the disciples asked God about, or Jesus, um, about like taxes, paying taxes. And he's like, yeah, show me a coin. And he says, render unto Caesar what's Caesar's and give to God what's God." What's God's? And we've always understood that the, the picture of Caesar was on that coin, obviously. And so it makes a lot of sense to think like, okay, you know, in the way in the systems of, you know, Caesar, yeah, financially, authority, yeah, we give that to him. And we give, you know, what is our, our trust, you know, our life, our surrender to God, sure. But what you probably is a lesser known understanding is that on that coin, the inscription that was on there was Caesar, Prince of Peace. And I think Jesus was making a twofold statement. He was saying Caesar comes by, by one way. And you can give to him what is his, which is, you know, Caesar was creating a pathway for peace for Rome. And you could have peace so long as you bowed your knee to the Roman Empire. You could have that peace. If not, you were crucified on a cross. Crucified on a cross. And that was his way, his force, his control, his aggressive cutting out of anything that looked like holistic peace at the expense of Rome's peace, right? So... Caesar was maintaining the peace of Rome through crucifixion. So he'd crucify rebels of their cause. And so for the longest time, the cross was always a symbol of, you know, like Roman peace, like just one expression of peace and, you know, harmony amongst those who did it the Rome way. But when Jesus comes on the scene, he so clearly inserts himself into a, that system, surrenders himself to control, allows himself to be placed on a cross, but bringing the world peace through forgiveness. Isn't it just like Jesus to do that? To take what, give to Caesar what's Caesar's, but giving to God what's God's. Caesar says you can't, you can't have peace as a whole. That's actually impossible. But Jesus came to show us a better way. Peace happens when we forgive. The practice of peacemaking looks a whole lot like forgiveness. Jesus outstretched on the cross turned what was meant for force into an avenue for family and connection. And that is the Jesus way. That is the way of the kingdom. When we make peace, we make family. When we radically forgive one another, we create a pathway for connection. Amen? The cross was once a symbol of force, aggression, control, but Jesus came and he turned it into a symbol of forgiveness. So my question for you today is where in your life have you been trying to 
access, gain, apprehend peace by way of control, by way of aggression, by way of fear? Where have you allowed the cultural understanding of peace, peace for the individual, to supersede the kingdom expression, which is peace for the whole. At the root of control is, you know, selfishness, right? It's me, it's me, it's me first. It's not family. It's not family. You're not able to make true peace if you're thinking about yourself, and you're not able to actually experience true family authentic family if you prioritize your self-interest above the interest of the whole, right? Every dad knows that and understands that. You know, he, you know my dad is a great example. My, my dad is one of the most gentle, wonderful, loving people on the planet. And if you've met him for more than five minutes, you know that. And there is something about going home for me that feels so refreshing. I have permission to be myself because when my dad, when something doesn't happen my dad's way, he's okay with it. Why? Because he sees the whole just as important as he sees himself. So he knows that, hey, if I exert control in this situation, then I'm actually breaking relationship and I'm not really willing to do that. And that is what a good dad does, right? And we have the opportunity as believers to practice that. Be radical forgivers. You can't have family without being radical forgivers. And I said this in first service because I feel like it's a word, but for some of you, you've been asking for family and God's been giving you contentious situations in your life. And he wants to see, and he wants to grow in you forgiveness. Because you cannot have long-lasting family without long-lasting forgiveness. Long-suffering, staying. To stay takes forgiveness because we will hurt each other, I promise. I promise. You're not really family until we've, like, hurt your feelings. And we, like, talk about it. And then, you know... We cry about it a little. Then we're family, right? Like, that's real. If you're afraid of being hurt, then you probably won't find family. And if you refuse to forgive, you certainly won't find it. And I feel like this is a key from Jesus. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the really good forgivers. For they will be called children of God. Blessed are you when you go out of your way to forgive those who have offended you, who have hurt you, in that place you will find kingdom family. So here at Legacy, that is my heart. That is my goal. When we say family, I want you to picture being a radical forgiver. I want us to picture what it looks like for us to have painful situations in our life, and still build a bridge of connection. Because that's what Jesus did, right? He died on a cross to build the ultimate bridge of connection 
for us. And even when we don't lean into him, he's always leaning into us. And that is the picture of the kingdom. And that is the way of Jesus. And when he was sitting on the mountain, sharing this word, it was as as offensive as you could imagine. Because they were sitting in the midst of a very unforgivable situation, genocide really. And Jesus said, this is the way. This is the way of the kingdom and watch me do it. I will do it. I will make all the things that were ugly, I will make them beautiful all through the avenue of forgiveness. Culture's method for peace is force, control, aggression. Be careful. Be careful. Because the kingdom, Jesus' method for peace is forgiveness, radical forgiveness, continued forgiveness. And I said this in the first service, we'll do another message on boundaries and we'll talk about, you know, the balance of forgiveness and trust and what it looks like to grow in trust with one another. So I'm not saying you have to be in relationship with people that hurt you all the time. But what I am saying is that there is a standard of forgiveness that was laid out for you on the cross. And Jesus has made a way when you feel like there's no way to do it. And in your life where you're feeling the wrestling, the contention, the literal pain of family, and he's offering to you a place to forgive, know that it's him right there with you, laying out the way on the cross. He's there with you. Imagine him, literally imagine him on the cross saying, I'm I'm right here with you. I'm right here with you because I care so radically about those on the outside coming into the family that I will do whatever it takes. And that's what his whatever it takes is. Culture says, I'll do whatever it takes to get my peace. And he says, I'll do whatever it takes for peace as a whole. And he laid himself down as a ransom for many. And we as children should behave like our dad, should behave like our brother. And we have an opportunity here as family. And I know that family feels scary sometimes, but if we can all commit together to lean in to forgiveness, I think we could do it. What do you guys think? I think we could do it. I really do. I really believe that what would make society stop its direction, turn towards the church and say, what are you doing that we're not doing? It's this. It's radical forgiveness. It is love in the midst of trial. It is, I feel pained, but I'm leaning in by the grace of Jesus. We have that opportunity. And this morning, I feel like I'm in a room full of family. I feel like I'm in a room full of radical forgivers. And I feel the Lord reminding you again, reminding you again that the way of the kingdom is not control. It's not forceful aggression and it's not your peace ahead of the peace as a whole. Family prefers one another. So this morning, as you're standing with me, we're gonna close in one song of worship because we just need to in a moment like this. But here is my one point as you're standing this morning. I left it for the end so that you guys could remember it. 
when we make peace, when we build bridges of connection, when we radically forgive one another, we make family. We make family. If you are confused in your life how to build connection, if you're confused on how to build and steward your relationships, remember this. When you forgive, you make family. When you care for your brother and your sister, you make family. So this morning, as we sing this closing song of worship. If you could with me, close your eyes all over this place. Place your hand over your heart. And I want you to repeat this prayer with me this morning, if you don't mind. Jesus, make me an instrument of your peace in this generation. I know when we forgive, we forge family. When we make peace, we make a family.